1: Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind, so when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate.
2: Hey everyone, before we get into today's pod, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level, or if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with BlueWire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for only $15 a month the same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com slash join. Check out the description box to find out more, but that's bwhustle.com slash join.
3: Minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Hello
1: everybody and welcome into episode 944 of the Packaday podcast. I'm your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL and joining me once again is the one and only Ben Fennel. You can follow him on Twitter at Ben Fennel underscore NFL. Ben is a, I'm going to, I'm going to label him as a genius when it comes to covering the draft. He is the absolute best. I was just telling him I have a laundry list of, uh, Twitter notes, uh, in my draft document that Ben has put out. Uh, Ben, how the heck are you doing and how's your draft prep coming?
4: I'm doing well. As uh, sad as I am this week, I should typically be heading to Annapolis to enjoy a a week-long experience at the scouting combine, so I'm a little sad to still be sitting in my office at NFL. Uh, The draft is a a beast, so it's fun to just dig into the film and keep researching, and uh, it seems like it never ends.
1: Yeah, it is. It's a a lot of fun, obviously, to go through and kind of unwrap these presents as you kind of look at some of the top prospects and obviously you go very very deep and I'm sure your notebook is there in your draft list is I don't even know how many pages long but uh, Ben we've got a lot to get to we're going to start going over some of the cornerbacks in this year's draft Um, we also want to take a look at you know Mike Patton being gone Joe Barry replacing him but I think probably what most people want to hear us talk about to begin with is of course WandaVision so tell me your quick tweet length review of your thoughts on WandaVision so far
4: Well, I love it. It brings me right back to, like, we were watching Lost. After every episode, I'm looking up theories and Easter eggs, and I like the enigma and the mystery to it all. This is not a plot that's a sprint. You're not going to get the beginning and the end in one episode. So all these people that were upset with the initial couple episodes in that they didn't tell you what was going on, I loved it. That's the mystery of it all. It's a series. Play the full game. Play the whole season. Play the whole series. And I just love that it's kind of wrapped up in this mystery. and You don't really know what's going on and all the TV show nostalgia. But the thing is, it's really not for kids. You can't just pop into this having not known the timeline of the MCU universe. So I kind of like that you need some background knowledge. And I like that it's a mystery as you're watching it. I think it's a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, I do too. I'm also a fan of the, the mystery box type of storytelling. I was a huge lost fan. The is another one mm, of those yep. that I just absolutely love. So love the, uh, love that sort of storytelling and WandaVision is full of it with some of the MCU notes, tons of Easter eggs. I think they've just done a tremendous job on it. So now that that is out of the way and obviously the, what everyone was honestly tuning in for, let's talk a little bit. I don't know that we have talked and maybe I'm wrong here, but, um, since Mike Petton, um, had been let go. I know you and I, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I know I had understood a lot of what Mike Patton was trying to accomplish. And I think both you and I were trying to, you know, tell people this is what, you know, Mike Petton's trying to do. And there's advantages to it. There's disadvantages to it just as there is with any defensive system. Well, Mike Patton's gone. I think ultimately, I think it was the right move, although time will tell. Joe Barry, an interesting candidate to bring in as a defensive coordinator, um, as everyone knows at this point, did not have success in Washington or Detroit, as everyone knows at this point, did not have the tools in Washington or Detroit necessarily to be successful. But let's just start, Ben, with what were your thoughts on the dismissal of Mike Patton and the hire of Joe Barry.
4: I think it was actually a day after I just said Mike Patton has done enough to be retained, and, of course, he was let go right on schedule there. But, you know, Joe Barry, I'm excited to get a coach that's been in one of the more dominant defenses over the last four years. So I'm excited what he, what he's done in the, you know, the recency aspect of it. Obviously, there's some, uh, you know, issues in Detroit and in Washington and some personnel, some schemes, some execution. But his body of work over the last four years is really interesting But considering he was just a position coach under Wade Phillips and under Brandon Staley, there's still going to be a lot of kind of guessworking to do as far as what he wants to bring to Green Bay. So uh, we can look at the Rams' defense collectively over the last four years. You can look at Washington. You can look at Detroit. You want to go all the way back and watch some Monty Kiffin with the Bucks in early 2000s? He was there, too. So I'd imagine like all coaches, you're going to take a little bit of what you've learned along the way and try to find the best case and the best scheme to fit your next job and your next assignment.
1: Yeah, I think for me, you know, anytime you bring in a new coach, whether it's an offensive coordinator, head coach, defensive coordinator, I think you want to be able to point to something and say, look at what he's done, and I'm really excited that he's going to be able to bring this to the team. And I'm not sure that I can necessarily pinpoint that thing with Joe Barry. It doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. But I'm not sure I can pinpoint that say, that thing with Joe Barry and say, look, this is what he's going to be bring to Green Bay, and I'm really excited about it. On the flip side of that, I look at you know when the Packers hired Nathaniel Hackett, and they had a lot of really smart minds in the room already. When you look at Rodgers and knowing McCarthy's offense, obviously Lafleur, knowing uh, Shanahan and McVay's style systems, um, you had kind of this, this blending of that. And, well, now you've got Nathaniel Hackett coming in. He's got kind of a West Coast not, uh, background, um, has a variety of different offenses that he knows. Now you've got another mind in that room that can bring something different to the table. There's a diversity there. Well, with Joe Barry, you've got um, Jerry Gray in the room who knows Zimmer stuff. You've got, obviously, everyone that knows Mike Pettin's stuff. And now you're bringing someone who knows, um, of course, Wade Phillips, as you mentioned, the Tony Dungy Tampa 2. He knows that Brandon Staley and Vic Fangio-style defense. You, they're not going to lack for any sort of uh, type of defense or scheme or anything that they want to run. Now it's just going to be getting the players to buy in and execute to it. I, I'm, in, you know, I'm impressed by his energy. I'm excited about, you know, overall what he brings to the table. But I, I do think it's an interesting hire.
4: And it's also important to note, just like Brandon Staley now the head coach of the Los Angeles Chargers and Joe Barry being the defensive coordinator of the Packers, you have to wonder what their situation is going to be like without a. Aaron Donald and a Jalen Ramsey and some generational talents at some very key positions. So now it's really going to be interesting to see who was making who we know the Rams are a steady, consistent, productive defense for the last four or five years. Was it the Jimmy's and the Joe's or the X's and O's, or is it going to take a combination of both? And obviously it's a combination, but it's a matter of whether he's going to have the same types of dogs and horses in green Bay to get the same type of results.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, you, you can make a strong argument. Certainly Kenny Clark's not Aaron Donald. Nobody is. And and Jair Alexander, Jalen Ramsey, that argument could be made, you know, all day long. But at least they've got two play, similar type of players at the same positions that are at least really damn good, if nothing else. Um, I, You know, the other thing that was, I don't know that it's necessarily a red flag to me, but it it is at least noteworthy nonetheless that... You know, when Brandon Staley left, the Rams had a defensive coordinator opening. And when Brandon Staley took the Chargers job, he had a defensive coordinator opening. And neither of those went to Joe Barry, um, interestingly enough. So it doesn't mean, again, that it's a bad hire. It doesn't mean that, you know, he wasn't next up on either of their lists. Uh, But it is interesting to me, nonetheless, that the two coaches that, you know, that knew him best had defensive coordinator openings. And neither of them went specifically with Joe Barry for that opening.
4: Yeah, and I think his labeling is also interesting because he was technically the assistant head coach in Los Angeles. So if Brandon Staley takes the job with the Chargers, he's obviously going to run his defense. So that means the defensive coordinator spot is open by title, but it will be Staley's uh, obviously team and defense. So it may be viewed as a lateral move almost for Joe Barry to go from the assistant head coach, LB coach, to the defensive coordinator that he really won't have a lot of collective say over.
1: Anything that you're specifically looking for out of a Joe Barry defense that you think, you know, you'd like to see Green Bay do differently or that you think he could bring to Green Bay or utilize the talent that's here maybe differently, better, whatever, than what Mike Patton did?
4: Yeah, you know, and just to kind of talk about this in an all-encompassing sense, the last two seasons, my favorite defense is around the NFL. Indianapolis Colts, Buffalo Bills, Los Angeles Rams, Green Bay Packers for one particular reason. They are all zone-based defenses. They are all conservative-based defenses. And when you get conservative zone defenses, there are some pros and cons to it. And I like the pros outweighing the cons for 2020-2021 NFL, where it's really tough to play defense. It's something we've talked about throughout the seasons about really tempering our expectations on defensive football. It's tough to be a dominant defense. So it's really calibrating what do you want. And I want teams to stop the run. Prevent big plays, get off the field on third down, and be opportunistic. Get those key turnovers or maybe a couple of those sacks. And that's what the Rams have really done particularly well under uh, Brandon Staley and under Joe Barry's tutelage is conservative defense that prevents the big plays. They stop the run. You're going to rush four most of the time, not blitz a whole lot a lot of vanilla defenses because it's zone. You have your eyes in the backfield, so you don't give a lot of QB runs and scrambles and some of those late in the down things. And the consistent thing over the last four years, tackling, tackling, tackling has been excellent. So when you get these conservative defenses, it's a, we're not going to make the mistake. We're going to wait for you to make the mistake. And that's the cat and mouse of aggressive defenses, exotic defenses, high pressure defenses, you know, pressure man defenses, is their high variance. There's a big risk-reward with those. So I'm in a camp of being a little bit more vanilla right now and saying, you know what, let's wait for the offense to make the mistake. And just going back to the tackling the last three years, the Rams were fourth seventh and first as far as missed tackles this is a technically sound team that tackles well rallies to the football and does all the little things right so i may not be inspiring packers fans to have this big exotic defenses that get after opposing quarterbacks it's a little boring it's a little vanilla but i think that's okay andy
1: I'm with you, and and I know you and I have had these conversations of what Mike Patton was trying to accomplish. I think this year the issue is, you know, especially early in the year, they weren't getting those turnovers, and they weren't always getting off the field on third downs, and some of those bend-but-don't-break situations were turning into touchdowns where in 2019, a lot of them were turning into field goals. Um, And then you just had some... Um, situational football issues, certainly in the, the, you know, NFC championship game as well, which I think all ultimately led to the release. But I'm with you. I, I think people see, you know, a lot of these different exotic concepts and wanting to bring more blitzing and stuff like that. But as you mentioned, there's a risk reward to that and allowing the defense an opportunity to be in a position to make plays. Uh, I think that's the right way to go. And and it really transitions well to looking at the cornerbacks that we're going to in just a little bit because you brought up tackling and how important that is. Well, Kevin King and various others amongst this Packers defensive group have had issues with tackling over the course of the past couple seasons. And finding corners who can tackle are hard. Uh, Ben, as we start going through uh, a few of these top corners, let me just ask you and, and start off with things. Who's number one A on your cornerback board this year?
4: So I'm going to go with uh, Caleb Farley out of Virginia Tech over Patrick Sertan, uh, who had opted out of 2020, so he's a little bit out of sight, out of mind, but he's the height, weight, speed, press corner, alpha dog that you're looking for on the outside. Um, Not saying that's a fit for every scheme, but if that's what you need to erase an ex receiver in the NFL, that's Caleb Farley for you.
1: Yeah, so with with Farley, you know, it's interesting – I fully believe and agree that he's the top prospect in this draft. I think he has the most talent, but I do think it's interesting you know when you start looking at you know the, the differences between him and Sertan. you know I thought he you know fairly struggled a bit more in 2018 really loved what he did in 2019 i don't think there's much debate about that if he were to come back in 2020 and had the exact same season that he had in 2019 I think he's quarterback or cornerback 1a all day long i just with just the one year and uh, of really high performing play, even though I think he's the most talented, I gave the nod to Sertan just a little bit, and I could still go back and forth a million times between now and uh, draft day. But um, I just like the consistency a little bit more with Sertan, almost to the point where, like, he was so consistent that it was boring watching Sertan at times, just you know, do the same thing over and over with the level of consistency that he had. But I agree with you that I, I think Farley's going to go uh, as the first corner off the board, and I, I won't have any gripe about that whatsoever. Um, but the one year of, of really strong play in 20. 19 was the only thing that made me believe maybe that Sertan would maybe get the nod there.
4: Yeah. And that's fair. And Caleb Farley is a guy that's been on the freak list the past two years for, you know, his four, three, five official 40. He's got the track speed, but listen, he's grabby tons of DPIs, tons of holds down the field. But it's okay. We can temper back the aggressive guy as opposed to dialing up the timid guy. And he really reminds me of a Marlon Humphrey-style player. Sertan, I just don't think, is going to test as well. A little more stiff in the hips. He's more of a lean on you and kind of use his size and physicality to erase receivers there. But my comp is a Stephon Gilmore. So those are two, obviously, elite corners in the NFL that have done some really good things. I think if you're getting anywhere close to those prospects, uh, teams will be happy.
1: Just to clarify, Gilmore was your comp for Farley or for Sertan?
4: For Sertan, and And Marlon Marlon Humphrey was my Caleb Farley.
1: I heard uh, Tremaine Johnson for Sertan, too, and I kind of like that a little bit as well. I think Sertan's a little bit more fluid than what Tremaine Johnson was, but um, I can see some of the similarities there as well.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Definitely, you see the size, the height, weight, speed type of prospect.
1: So I don't want to put words in your mouth. Uh, again, it was Sertan number two on your list, or did you have somebody that you would even put above Sertan there?
4: I had Sertan as two, and then three, those three Ps in a pod, those big press corners with J.C. Horn as my corner three.
1: So I'm I'm really intrigued by J.C. Horn because I there I don't think there's anyone in the world that can throw on tape of J.C. Horn and not enjoy watching him play football. Like he's just a really fun player to watch. I don't necessarily know that his technique always matches his athleticism and his um you know just overall I don't know piss and vinegar and just the way that he plays the game. I absolutely love watching him play. I I kind of equated him not in not stylistically but just in overall I don't even know how to explain it, but I like to Marcus Peters, who is a little bit more boom bust in the fact that Marcus Peters is going to constantly make plays for you. But there's going to be a time here and there where he just gives up a massive play. And I could see that kind of similar career arc for J.C. Horn where I don't even care if he gives up a big play now and again because he's such a fun player and he's going to make big plays and he's going to be good in coverage more often than not. Um, but I do think he's very, very grabby. You mentioned that with um, with Farley as well. I do think he's a little bit even more grabby at the point of attack. Uh, but uh, again, I just don't know how you don't like him when you watch him.
4: Yeah, there's certainly some high variance in his production. You can go right to 2019 where he got absolutely baptized against okay. Alabama, that stable of receivers, and then didn't play against the undefeated LSU national champions, which would have been a great litmus test against Jefferson and Jamar Chase, but. Just to uh, compare to Marcus Peters, the high-variance play, but he's much more of a willing physical participant as Absolutely. a football player, in my opinion. He's willing to contribute in run support. He obviously can see some of the physicality, number one, through the penalties, which is a real fine line of aggression. This is a corner that's got a number of forced fumbles in his career too. So the guy's just willing to come up. Throw his body around in that 6'1, 200 pound frame. And a keep to leave style of player, I think, is what he can ascend and be. But he's a guy that looks like a top five corner some weeks and a day three corner in other weeks. And I think there's a couple prospects in the draft that have some high variance tape that you really have to figure out what are you getting.
1: Yeah, and I, and I think that's the best way to put it is that high variance. And in, in no way, shape, or form stylistically is he the same as Marcus Peters, but Marcus Peters obviously has some of that high variance as well. And like you said, he's definitely not afraid to come up and be physical in the run game, be physical as a, a defender at any level of the field. I, I like him. Um, he's kind of one of those players when I watch, it's like, I don't know, and again, just putting my fake GM hat on here for a second, I don't know that I necessarily want to draft him, but I also, like, don't want anything to do with him in my division or my conference at the same time. Like, let him go to, like, the Titans or Texans or Jaguars or something, and I'll see him, you know, once every four years, and that'll be great. Like, I still think he's going to be really good. I, I don't know. He's just a really interesting watch.
4: Yeah, but he's a good, big, physical, height, weight, speed, press corner. So a lot of teams feel that's a coveted spot. Um, but, like I mentioned, those four defenses that I love, the zone based defenses, they may not be perfect fits for them. And I think some of these off covered zone corners are just as intriguing, but they just don't have the billboard of being a press man, you know, 200 pound 6 1 corner. But there's some good zone corners out there, too.
1: All right. So, who's next on your list in that group of three?
4: So, it's going to be, Sir, or excuse me, Farley, Sertan. J.C. Horn as my big press corners, and then I have Asante Samuel, Jr., Yeah, who is that proverbial zone corner of the group, that off-coverage guy, a guy that lacks the size but has the click and close, has the ball skills, has the physical temperament, obviously the lineage coming from his dad and what he has done. Um, But we just don't get as excited about these types because we think they're that much more limited. But, you know, we saw a Byron Murphy go early in the second round a couple of years ago, and a lot of the things Asante Samuel Jr. did well and struggled with were some of the same things that were on Jair Alexander's report at Louisville. Physical, ball skills, excellent play temperament, can get bodied at the catch point by bigger receivers, being 5'10", 185 pounds, that happens. Um, but if you get him in a zone scheme and off coverage scheme, he's a guy that can really make you pay with his click and close and ball skills. It just won't be for every scheme.
1: Yeah, this was one of the first uh, of two corners that I really fell in love with, um, just watching him play. I saw a little of Jire in his game. I saw a little of Casey Hayward in his game too, just kind of some mm-hmm. of the zone skills, those ball hawking skills. I uh, saw some of that as well. Um, again, as you mentioned, he's not necessarily going to fit, uh, every single system, but, uh, his, his, uh, agility and as you mentioned, the click and close as well as what just kind of immediately stood off the page. Um, I also think, I think we're getting a little bit too as as we start looking at as you mentioned some of these more vanilla defenses that are you know playing off keeping their eyes uh on the quarterback it almost seems like there are times where I'll just use Aaron Rodgers as an example we know that Aaron isn't going to be one that's going to necessarily throw into coverage as much even if it's a 6-3 receiver on a five-ten corner if there's sticky coverage there we're seeing less and less that quarterbacks are taking chances in those situations so maybe as you know before and there's, there's certainly still the Allen Robinsons and a multitude of other receivers who can take advantage of some of those size mismatches but uh, and I think for Green Bay you have to think about are you okay you know with a, a Samuel and a Jair as your two top corners but but um, overall, I think as you get more and more into needing all these different matchups, if you can have good sticky coverage, even if you're giving up a few inches, I still think it's uh, it's more advantageous to have that than a corner who's taller and can match up with height but doesn't have the agility to match up with other matchups across the field. So I don't know how you feel about that, but I'm, I'm more leaning that way
4: lately. Yeah, and that's fair. And I think some of the problem with, like, a Kevin King's play is – if you're going to use a conservative coverage scheme, like a zone coverage, eyes in the backfield, give up a high, a high volume of completions underneath, you have to defend downfield and you have to come up and tackle. So I think finding someone to fit the scheme, if they are zone corners, they better be feisty. They better be able to click and close and drive on balls and jump you know, uh, passing lanes and get their hands on balls and be able to play the ball down the field. So I think finding guys that fit that are better. And there's a lot of corners around college football that they don't want.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
4: turning and running anymore they don't want pedaling and this new form of side saddle which is a bailing way to play cornerback where you're kind of playing with your butt to the sideline very much in a sideways position your eyes are in the backfield you can kind of keep an eye on the receiver but there's a lot of corners around college football that are playing this way because of that Whether it's an issue in pedal, whether it's an issue in transition, whether it's an issue finding the ball down the field, this allows them to keep their eyes forward. And these big, bad Georgia corners are kind of front and center for how they play.
1: Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up because that's where I wanted to go next. Uh, Eric Stotz and Tyson Campbell um, your thoughts, I, I, Tyson Campbell is the one that I've watched a ton of, and I just can't fully wrap my head around yet of where I want to put him and how I feel about him. I'm like, on uh, one game, I'm like super jacked. And then the next game I'm like, no,
5: thank you. Uh, so I'm excited to hear your takes on Stokes and Campbell. Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions. And now they want to help you even more with a Credit Karma money spend account. You can be rewarded for good money habits.
4: So Campbell I want in a cover three bailing zone scheme. Like I just said, that side saddle, I want his eyes in the backfield. He can transition and click and close really well. But when he's in man coverage, he just does not find the ball down the field. He's given up a bunch of big plays uh, where he doesn't get his head around. But none of the Georgia corners do. So it might be something that's coached, and they're taught more to rake at the catch pocket rather than get their head around and find the ball. Eric Stowe's a little bit more of a pedigree to play press man, but another guy I think does better when he has separation from the receiver. And what I mean by that is there's some corners that want to lean on you and feel you and put their butt on you and battle you, and then there's some that would rather have a force field around them and play in space and dart through passing lanes and attack the catch point and attack the ball. He's a guy that I think does better when he's away from the receiver. And DJ Daniels, another corner down there with a similar profile, he's kind of a mix of the two, of Stokes and Tyson Campbell, the guy that was down at the Senior Bowl. Guys that are very experienced but inconsistent tape, and I think the style, scheme, and technique at the next level is really going to determine where they get drafted and if they have success or not.
1: Yeah, it's, it's so interesting because I've, I've seen a few different people say that, you know, they viewed, you know, Campbell as more of like a, a man corner. I'm like the very first time I saw him, I'm like literally my, I don't know, fourth or fifth note on my list here is that I think he'd fit perfectly in a cover three scheme. You know, having that size, speed, athleticism on the outside. I know he's, you know, a twitched up athlete overall, but I don't know if he's necessarily see the the man to man cover skills when I put him on tape. I, I, I agree with you a million fold that I think he's much better fit for more of that zone kind of off scheme. Um, I, the other one, you know, right there, I, I go, I kind of go that way with Eric Murray too on where I kind of feel about him. I see a little Sam Shields just with the the speed in his game, some of the ball skills as well. Um, but he's a really unique one as well that I'm, I I like him more than I like Campbell. And I think he has more scheme versatility of being able to do a few more things. Um, But yeah, both of those are two that of, of the cornerback class so far, I've struggled placing those two more than any of the others.
4: But what you're getting with all those Georgia defenders in that secondary, particularly the corners, tough, tough players. These are guys that will fight off blocks on the perimeter. They'll contribute to run support. They play with that alpha kind of, FU mentality on the outside that you kind of need from your defensive backs these days and just being really confident and having that swagger. But the coverage technique is obviously really going to depend on where they fall
1: hundred percent. And that, that's always my favorite. One of my favorite things on draft days is seeing what players go with what scheme fits. And because you, uh, there's times where you end up with these perfect dream scenarios and other times you're wondering how the hell it's going to work out, <laughs> um, you know, but uh, hopefully some of these players get to go to some really great scheme fits.
4: Yeah. And really quick, Andy, you know, we may be boring some people with all this tackling talk with corners, Bill Belichick, Matt Patricia, their number one trait for corners, tackling. Yeah. As crazy as that is, we only get 11. Everybody has to tackle out there. And once you have liabilities on defense, tackling liabilities, that's when you start to get attacked. That's when you start to feel vulnerable. So having tough, reliable football players is all part of deploying a conservative defensive scheme. So in order to do that, you have to have everybody on the same page.
1: Yeah, you really do. And that's, uh, that's why we kind of kicked off with that, uh, how important it is to watch some of these players tackle Um, where do you want to go from here? We've got a few guys left that we want to cover. Greg Newsome, Aaron Robinson, Sean Wade, I'll let you pick your poison next.
4: You know, it's a really interesting defensive back group, Um, you know, particularly I think that nickel position. Uh, some guys that have had some experience on the outside that can slide inside a the nickel. There's some safeties that can come down and cover. I think Aaron Robinson at UCF is a really interesting player. He's an Alabama transfer. He's played corner for UCF. He's played safety. He's played nickel. He's been a special teamer. He's tall. He's long. He's aggressive. There's just a lot of types like this around college football. and Whether it's Elijah Molden or Javon Holland or Damar Hamlin, who is a you know, four-star corner going to Pittsburgh, converted to a nickel safety. I just think these are all guys with good size, good play temperament, and know how to cover out there. So that's what I'm looking for first. And in kind of the same pecking order, I just read it off. I want the toughness, the physicality, the size, and then can you cover somebody? And we just did a study over on the Eagle – I Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast with Fran Duffy. We studied the Colts defense because that's going to be our new defensive coordinator in Philadelphia. The one thing about that Colts defense, zone-based, there is nothing finesse anywhere. There's no skinny press man corners that don't want to tackle. There's no coverage linebacker that the liability in the run. There's no skinny edge rusher that can't hold up at the point of attack. Everybody is built like a tank. Physical tone setter ready to tackle, and I think that's going to be more the trend in Green Bay is getting rid of as many finesse players as you can find and getting tougher and more physical across the board.
1: Yeah, uh, Ron Wolf's. Uh, old adage was uh, what if you start you know drafting the exceptions you end up with a whole team of exceptions <laughs> like if you start you know, <laughs> drafting exceptions to your rules so you know they had you know specific height weight speeds they wanted the physicality they wanted those sort of things and you know he was basically going over in his book how you know maybe you can take an exception here and there but you start doing it and all of a sudden your whole team is uh, an exception to the rule and you end up with a, a team full of maybe players who aren't as physical or aren't tackling so I always love that from Ron Wolf you've got to fit you know players that are going to fit that overall scheme and mentality. Um, there's always a player like a Jair Alexander, or, you know, Casey Hayward that can maybe, uh, you know, be a little bit undersized, do some different things. But, you know, you got to have a plan for how you want that defense to succeed. And it sounds like the Colts certainly have
4: that. Yeah, absolutely. And if we're Packers fans thinking, hey, we're moving on from Kevin King and free agency, what's the closest thing to a Kevin King to fill into that spot? And there's some out there, whether it's uh, Ifatu Melifanu, who's Obi's brother at Syracuse, Literally is a clone of Kevin King. Height, weight, speed, 6'2", 180, 190, can run, tall, long. There's a kid from the University of Washington, Keith Taylor, also looks like a clone of Kevin King. 6'2", tall, long, track speed, similar types of guys. Even Benjamin St. Juice at Minnesota, another guy went down to the Senior Bowl, 6'3", 200 pounds. These are all tall, long, physical corners, that maybe just have a little more consistency to their game than Kevin King, who was a guy that obviously flashed some good stuff, flashed some bad stuff, had some injuries, had some inconsistency with availability. We're just looking for more consistency. If Kevin King wasn't the guy, we need to know it. But the thing with him is he kept, you know, breaking our heart just when we wanted to give him the job back. So I think finding more consistency in that position is really the name of the game in 2021
1: there's nothing worse literally than an inconsistent player where you might get an A or an F on any given week. Like you would, you know, you'd rather take the guy that you know is going to be a C or maybe even a C minus because you know what you're getting week in and week out and you can kind of game plan around those deficiencies. You know, you're going into an NFC championship game with Kevin King thinking, you know what, if we've got a vertical route against Scotty Miller uh, towards the end of half one-on-one, we like our matchup there. If we've got, you know, the ability to match up, you know, maybe with a Chris Godwin or a Mike Evans from time to time, we think, well, he comes in and you know, maybe injuries played a part, but it, you know, he did not play well in that game whatsoever. If they would have known that they would have got a D minus F game from Kevin King in that game, you know, they can plan around it a little bit more, but they're going in thinking that maybe they're going to get one of the best games and they just didn't. And I think that inconsistency and not knowing what to plan for is just an absolute killer week in and week out.
4: Yeah. And I think that's fair. And just to kind of bring this full circle back to what to expect, I think it's going to be kind of similar to how things were in green Bay. It's going to be a little conservative, they're going to give up a lot of catches underneath, maybe some easy ones on third and medium that drive fans crazy. But it's all about the big plays, being opportunistic, preventing those big plays over the top, tackle well, be fundamentally sound. And the other trend I think we might see, we might continue to see kind of a boring group of off-ball linebackers. Remember the last two years in Los Angeles, they rolled at Micah Kaiser, Troy Reader, and Kenny Young. Not the most inspiring group, but they were okay obviously a dominant defense while they were under there. So um, I don't know if we're going to look at our group and think we need some influx of athleticism or influx of an elite prospect there to survive and be a quality defense.
1: I am that's one of the things I'm going to be most intrigued on this offseason for Green Bay is how they handle that inside linebacker position, because it, it absolutely seems that Green Bay does not put a ton of value into it. It certainly seems that L.A. these past few seasons have not put a ton of value into it. At the same token, the teams that Green Bay that gave Green Bay the most trouble were the teams with a Levante David and a Devin White, a Darius Leonard, you know, Eric Hendricks in Minnesota. Like the teams that gave Green Bay trouble were the teams with a really good, fast sideline to sideline inside linebackers. So as a GM, do you say, hey, look at what some of these other – and as a coach, you look at some of these other teams and say, hey, we really struggled against this. So it would be nice to have one of those guys on our side. Or do you say, you know what? We're going to kind of stick with what we believe, and we don't think that type of player is indicative of uh, overall success, and we'd rather have defensive linemen, edge rushers, corners, and and cover that stuff first, which there's actually, you know, a very strong argument to that mindset as well.
4: Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's another kind of positional group. They're looking for stability and balance, whether it's the on-field availability at linebacker or just the voice. We had three different guys wear the green dot last year. That is not acceptable for a defensive quarterback. Other uh, group. I know there were some issues with the new guys trying to get up to speed with the scheme and get calls in and checks in pre-snap. There was a little bit of disappointment considering it was a free agent off the sh- or free agent and undrafted free agent and a a rookie mid-round pick that was injured early on. So there was three guys kind of behind the eight ball that really kind of set the defense back on some pre-snap looks and just getting lined up. So all in all, looking for more stability, particularly at that off-ball linebacking spot.
1: I know we're off topic a little bit here, but are are you a believer in Chris Barnes? Do you feel like he can be a a guy that anchors a middle of of a Packers defense?
4: I do. I think I've seen enough about Chris Barnes and Kamal Martin for them to be kind of our Mike Will or Mike Ted, whatever you want to call the two off-ball linebackers in that scheme there. Um I really liked his play temperament. I think he was really physical. Um And just having that style of presence in the middle of defense was something we were kind of missing, you know, ever since the A.J. Hawk kind of Desmond Bishop era of just having that middle of the field enforcer. Um, It was painful to see him with that big club on in the playoffs. Obviously, I think that hindered his ability to drag down some tacklers like Cam Akers as he got pushed into the goal line there. Um, But I saw enough. And, uh, you know, considering they cut Kirksey with the high dollar number for 2021, I'd be more than okay with rolling with those two for uh, for next season.
1: I'm definitely there with uh, Chris Barnes. I'm not quite there with Kamal Martin yet, but... I'll uh, lean on your expertise on this one and we'll see what happens this next season. All right, just did two fast thoughts on two other corners. I do want to get your thoughts on Greg Newsome. Saw you post a little bit about him before we uh started recording today. He was my other guy along with Asante Samuel that I really, really liked. Uh immediately uh was kind of just drawn to his his overall ability, but curious your thoughts on him.
4: Yeah, so Greg Newsome is about six foot, one eighty. Uh he's a really physical player. He reminds me a little bit of Kyle Fuller with the Chicago Bears. Sure. He's been a really productive player there. Um, and just, you know, put on the Ohio State tape this year. When he was in the game, really stifled that Ohio State offense. And Justin Fields, when he went out, they started to move the ball. Really smooth pedal guy. He's got a great transition. Really physical in the flat. He finds the ball down the field. Another guy that's a little grabby, he's got a handful of pass interference, handful of holding penalties, but I would rather the aggressive guy, like I had mentioned before, than trying to get the timid guy to be more aggressive. He might be a guy that may have that temperament to slide in a nickel or a a safety role in the NFL. Um, Northwestern isn't too known to put out a lot of elite NFL prospects, but they put out smart players and typically NFL-ready players, and I think that's what you're going to get with Greg Newsom.
1: Yeah, there wasn't anything that I saw in his game that I had as a major red flag. Thought he could play either side of the field, potentially play some inside as well. I thought he had ball skills, He, he, you know, more often than not was in phase. Didn't think he panicked overall. Did have some grabbing, but as you mentioned, I didn't think it was anything egregious that couldn't be, you know, kind of coached. And I thought he made receivers work for everything. There was nothing easy when you played uh, against him. So I really, really liked what I saw out of him. The, The one that I wasn't as high on, and we'll end with this one, um, your thoughts on Sean Wade. I, I almost felt like Sean Wade might be more of a safety than a corner. I know there's a few in that camp, but I uh, was wondering your thoughts on him.
4: So, Andy, in 2018, Rondell Moore was a true freshman, won freshman of the year in the Big Ten, led the country in yards after catch. His coming out party was a big upset win against Ohio State that season. Andy, he baptized Sean Wade that day. <laughs> I am shocked Sean Wade stayed a defensive back nickel after that day. Um, so I see much more of a Jalen Mills style of player. Yeah. A tough corner that maybe he's going to struggle in coverage, struggle down the field, but you know you're getting a tough player, a guy that's going to come up and run support and beat up receivers in the route. And you can clearly see the transition to safety is kind of a fluid thing for a style of player like that. So I see more of a Rocky Sin, maybe a Demarius Randall style of player. These are all kind of corners that lack that corner temperament and that corner pedigree, but you have to size the physicality um, and obviously Wade struggled in the playoff against Clemson and struggled against Alabama. So uh, to watch him against some NFL-type receivers wasn't too inspiring. But um, he's a guy that's been Ohio State for three years. He's been a five-star. Everybody wanted him. He's a good kid off the field. He's done some work off the field as well outside of football. I like his upside It's just finding where you want to play him. But he's a tough kid, and all these kind of conversations we're talking about corners in this class, a lot of tough players, a lot of physical players, and I love seeing that out of the uh, the cornerback group.
1: I have a feeling that Wade's going to be one of those guys that goes higher because some teams fall in love with the traits and the off the field and just everything that he kind of brings to the table and think that they can kind of coach him up. It seems like there's always one of those there every year. Of course, Ohio State's always had good luck with corners in the <laughs> NFL for the most part. So, and always, you know, Damon Arnett, not a similar type of player, but obviously we saw him go earlier than a lot of people uh, expected last year as well. So I, I just feel that way, but I, I don't know. I feel like he needs to he, need
4: uh, yeah, He's a tough one. And when you play big-time big ball at Ohio State, he's got some really good tape in he's got some clunky tape so could be your mood your temperament what tape you watch that you know determines where you put him on the board I'm really having a tough spot figuring out is he a late day two player is he a mid-day three player is he undrafted at this point there's a lot of guys like that and you know there's a player like Kelvin Joseph at the University of Kentucky that's been getting a lot of buzz he's a redshirt sophomore but he's an LSU transfer so he's got the pedigree. He's got the height, weight, speed, ball hawking. Uh, you know, he's, he can side saddle. He can play press man. A variety of stuff. Just so inexperienced. I have no idea how to project these types of players and really determine their upside and where they get taken uh, in the pecking order. So my flavor, I love experience. I think cornerback, particularly, is a learn on the job type of position. So I need guys that have been on the field, got a lot of those cobwebs out got their, you know, took their lumps and took their punches and are ready to play in the NFL. So there's some guys like a Sean Wade, like a Kelvin Joseph, that I think where they go in the draft is seriously up in the air
1: yeah where they go what scheme they end up in what team they, i mean all of it uh, you know tony pauline always says the the draft is the start of the process and seeing what team they end Super. up with and getting the coaching and stuff like that so um it'll be fun to unwrap you know uh, unwrap a lot of these results over the course of the next couple of months see where they end up and break it down all much further from there i am sure ben absolutely incredible stuff as always um what are you going to be doing for the draft what are you working on and where can we find your work
4: Uh, So I'm back with uh, NFL Network right now for our off-season coverage. So just finished up our week at the Senior Bowl. Unfortunately, no combine. But we should have some heightened Pro Day coverage coming in the next month or two as the Pro Day circuit is going to be that much more focused and intense. Uh, obviously, helping out with Path of the Draft and some of our studio shows on NFL Network. But at the end of the day, this culmination is this big long marathon to our draft broadcast, which as of right now is on schedule to be in person in Cleveland. So that's kind of where this is all heading, and uh, it's about two months away. A lot can be decided, uh, you know, up until then.
1: Yeah, hopefully it is uh, in person. Hopefully we get a live draft in Cleveland. That would be nice. Some return to normalcy there. Um, you do great work as always. Thanks so much for taking some time to come on. Uh, enjoy breaking down all the prospects. If you don't have uh, alerts set on Ben for Twitter, uh, make sure to do so at Ben Fennel underscore NFL. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. Uh, you can follow the podcast at Packaday Podcasts. Make sure to check out tomorrow's episode and subscribe if you haven't already. If you haven't checked out the YouTube series yet, make sure to check out that as well. But until next time, and as always, go pack, go.